We are going to the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, go to Joshua, not Judges. Joshua, I'm still on one. Hey, and by the way, I actually messed it up. I figured I should tell y'all that. For those of you who were last week, y'all know what I'm talking about. All right, so it's going to be Joshua chapter 7, verse, hold on, let me get that on, verse 20 through 21. Yes. All right. So how many have a Bible? Hallelujah. This is the more important book in the whole world. Mm-hmm. It's a treasure. You know that? I love it. The Amen. Bible is, is bread. That's right. Okay, you ready? It says, and Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil, spoil, mm-hmm, spoil. and a beautiful clock from Sinar and 200 shekels, of silver and a bar of gold weighed 50 shekels when I covered them and I took them and see they are hiding in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Spanish. I'll encourage him as he finds it. Y Acán respondió a Josué diciendo, verdaderamente yo he pecado contra Jehová, el Dios de Israel, y así, y así he hecho. Pues vi entre los despojos un, mon, un manto de Babilonia muy bueno y doscientos ciclos de plata, y un lingote de oro de peso de 50 ciclos, lo cual codicié y tomé, y he aquí que está escondido bajo la tierra en medio de mi tienda y el dinero debajo de ello. The word of God, Ja. Thank you, Victor. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. I'm so glad you came today because God got a word for you. That neighbor was stuck up, wasn't listening to you. Turn to your other neighbor. Say, other neighbor, I'm so glad. Why some of y'all over there talking to the wall? Something wrong with (laughs) y'all. The spirit of deliverance, please. I'm so glad you came today. Because God got a word for you. All right, y'all give God one more hand clap of praise in this place. Last week, we were in Joshua chapter 7, and I said that we'll deal with part 2. And so today, we're going to deal with part 2 of the sermon that I titled, Some Things Can't Be Hidden. Some Things Can't Be Hidden. 
Pastor John talks about his recent visit to his brother. I flew to Midwest to visit my little brother, Fred, one of the top spine surgeons in the United States. Fred picked me up at the airport and told me he either could drop me off at his home to visit with his wife and their kids, or I could go with him to the children's hospital where he just been called in for an emergency procedure. He would outfit me as a medical student and I would watch him perform surgery. I agreed excitedly without stopping to think about what I was going to see. Are you kidding? Let's go, he replied. Wearing blue scrubs, booties, caps, and masks, I stood by Fred alongside a gurney while he talked to the patient, a 12-year-old boy. The boy leg had been almost severed just below the knee in a playground accident. Dr. Fred assured him everything would be okay, and he was quickly wheeled into the operating room. Four days earlier, the emergency room doctor had sewn the womb up, sent the boy home. However, he developed a high fever, and when it reached 105 degrees, the parents worried in tears and brought him back. Parents can relate. It turned out the improperly clean womb was still filled with gravel, and some of the skin around the womb had died and was spreading to healthy tissue. The boy body was racked with infection, and the fever had signaled what was going on behind those stitches. He says, he goes on to say, I'll never forget watching a sight that was together the most gruesome and most awesome I think I've ever saw. Within minutes, the medical team had the boy under general anesthesia, draped and ready for surgery. I was shocked at how aggressively Fred removed the stitches, reopened the wound, stuck his sterilized and gloved hand right down into the boy's bloody leg to clean it out. As I stood nearby, I watched as my baby brother's skilled fingers quickly cling around flesh and bone and then delicately cut away dead tissue that was infecting the rest of the leg. After the wound was clean, Fred directed the assistant surgeon to close up while left to find the boy's parents. The operation went well, Fred told them, and he gave mom and dad steps for follow-up care at home. Friends, seeing in the body of Christ is like an infection in the body. The body of Christ starts to show signs of unhealthiness and defeat when sin goes unchecked. Sin is never something we should play with, but something we ought to attack aggressively. Friends, you don't get a cold in your body and say it's okay for it to stay there. You run yourself to the local Walgreens and the local CVS, and if you're like me, I get that emergency. And I pop about two of those things because I, I don't like being sick. We must attack it like the doctor attacked the, the infection in the boy's leg. We must go in and remove sin from the body or it will kill the body. Sin comes to do one thing, kill, steal, and destroy. But we must be skilled like a doctor when it comes to removing sin. 
If we will remove sin properly, we must understand how sin works. We must understand how sin operates. We are considering the story of Achan in Joshua 7, and last week we began to look at this story in its overall perspective. We looked at three things. We looked at the defeat in the, attempt, uh, uh, the attempted conquest of Ai and how the 36 Jewish men were killed. You remember that Israel was going up against a small nation. They had just beat Jericho, the big nation. And you remember they walked around the wall seven times and those walls came crashing down. I get excited in my soul when I think about how they came down. They didn't come down because they took a wrecking ball and take them down. They didn't even fire a shot. Believe it or not, God gave them the victory without them doing anything. Sound a whole lot like salvation to me, that God gives us the victory apart from our works. And here it is that they see this nation and they're on the conquest to conquer all of Cana and they go and spy on the land of Ai and they see this nation and they say, hey, Josh, check it out, man. These people ain't nothing. They're a piece of cake. We can do this all by ourselves. And if you remember last week before they went to war, they didn't pray. They didn't bring the Ark of the Covenant, which was the tangible evidence of the presence of God. You know you arrogant when you think that you don't need God for your battles. But God showed them that I'll let the underdog win so that you know that the battles that you have won is because of me. And I'm the only person in the room every now and then. I forget that God is the reason that I'm winning and I get fixated on myself. And so God humbles the nation of Israel. He allows them to lose and he exposes to them that, hey, there is sin among you. And because of this sin, 36 Jewish men were killed. Israel had failed to take Ai, not because, friends, listen to me, not because God was not with them, but because they were not with God. And we looked at Joshua's response, the deeply moving, heartfelt prayer of Joshua. And we looked briefly at the disclosure of Achan's sin. We looked at it in, in, in a broad perspective in connection with the story of the redemption at this point. But this morning we need to return and look at this sin of Achan from a more detailed perspective. Asking different questions now. Asking more personal questions, not so much about what Achan's sin meant for the progress of the kingdom of God or the conquest of the land of Cana so much, but asking about more personal issues dealing with sin and temptation. God rehearses the problem. Joshua and Israel try to figure out what is happening. God in heaven already knows. Yes, 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 God already knows. If you don't know, God knows everything. Yes, he does. And we say amen, but sometimes we live like we don't believe that he knows everything. But yes, yes, yes. You like, he know everything, like what I'm thinking right now? Like, I'm have to put up the Baptist thing and tiptoe about this joint if that's what you're saying. God already knows and tells Joshua all about it. You can only imagine that day, people scrambling and wondering. Think about it, church. 36 people had died in a battle they expected to win. Can you imagine the emotion among the people of Israel? Can you imagine what is going through their minds? 
God, you promised to give us this land. You promised us victory, and yet we, we are defeated. What is going on? You can almost sense the worry in their hearts. You can almost sense the anxiety in their hearts. They're conflicted don't understand it. And sometimes we ourselves get conflicted when God doesn't always give us the victory over things. But sometimes God sees something that is more important in your life that he must deal with that is bigger than just giving you the victory. Because if he's going to give you the victory, he has to give you the victory. And the biggest victory you can ever have is the victory over your own sin. Who am I talking to this morning? People are scrambling, and now God tells them why they lost. He tells them that they're they're seeing in the camp of Israel in the body. God sees the gravel left in the womb and detects the fever in the body. He tells Joshua that, that, that it is sin that is hindering his power, and it is what is bringing about their defeat. He tells Joshua how to discover the guilty party. In these words to Joshua, God gives us some insight into sin of which we need to take note. Allow me to share with you these six observations concerning sin and its effect in our lives. I want to start with God first, and then I want to deal with Achan. I want to start with the divine perspective, and then I want to end with the human perspective. What do we learn from God in this story? Number one, God knows about your sin. Yeah, 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 God, go ahead and swallow, yeah, God, God, yeah, he knows, he, yeah, yeah, but don't run, don't run nowhere, God, no, just keep looking at me, you ain't got to get nervous, God knows your sin, he knows my sin as well, which is why I'm always surprised that he'll use a wretch like me to preach and proclaim his word, and so you're in the right place. We see this in verse 11, as I said last week, God tells Joshua there is sin before it ever enters the mind of Joshua. I love the way that Proverbs 15.3 puts it, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Friends, we're not getting away with anything. It's like Judah from Genesis. I know, y'all, I don't know if you read your Bibles, but if you do... It's a jacked up story. And and, uh, back in the book of Genesis, Judah is supposed to treat his daughter in law right and make sure that she gets her inheritance. And dude is dodging her because two of his sons that have been married to her have already died. And so he uses the power that he has to get over on her. He uses the power that he has to, uh, to, to oppress her. And so, and so Tamar dresses up like a prostitute and say, I'm going to get this joker. I'm it's some crazy stuff in the Bible. Y'all ought to read it. I'm telling you. And so he, he, so he's traveling on the road and, and he sees this pretty fast thing. And so he pulls over and he says, hello. (laughs) Y'all know the sexy voice. Y'all know we get all deep and hello. This the Bible, y'all. I'm not making this up. You could go read it yourself. And and just, and just, and just so I don't get too descriptive, there was an exchange that happened between Judah and the prostitute. And, and, and so for, for payment, he left his identity for sin. Oh, I just said something right there. Because a lot of times we'll exchange our identity for the sake of a moment and pleasure of sin. And so, so Judah gives up who he is 
for the sake of pleasure for a moment. Sin will snatch you up. But, but he sins not only against God, he sins against her. But what I love about God is God doesn't let Judah get away with his sin. It took years later for it to catch up with him. But when it caught up with him, God gave her back her dignity and, and, and he punished Judah. Friends, sometimes it takes time for God to get those who sin against you. Uh, us who are in power, we better be careful how we use our power. That's because you think you got power to cover up things. You better, believe, you better remember the one who's in ultimate power. And the power that you have is the power that he's given to you. And that power is to be steward for the good of people, not the good of your own lust. And God's going to deal with that. Friends, we're not hiding nothing from God. God knows already. Let me just park one more time here. I, I love the story of the exonerated five. It took them almost 20 years to get their justice. But I'm so glad because in that story, we see that God is a God of justice. And it may be 20 years until you get your justice. But you stay faithful to God. And God is going to deal with what needs to be dealt with. Why, 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 why does God deal with sin? Because God hates sin. He hates it. And I know we don't like to preach this anymore in pulpits in America. We don't like to talk about sin anymore. <laughs> what sin are you talking about? All is good. We want to be inclusive and, and tolerant and, and all of these other things. But can I tell you to side with someone's sin is not to love somebody. It's actually not to love somebody. And if everything is okay, the only result of that is chaos. God hates sin. Friends, God didn't die on Calvary to become friends with your sin. But in order to destroy your sin and check it out and to set you free from your sin. I hear the word of God whom the son set free is free indeed. Remember the woman called in adultery. Jesus, Jesus saved her and then he says, woman, go and sin no more. Y'all remember little Zacchaeus, little Zacchaeus, short dude, climbed up in a tree. He may had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus forgave him of his sin, but you see Zacchaeus repented in turn from his sin. Friends, the doctrine of grace does not go against the doctrine of repentance. In fact, those who have received grace are those who will repent by grace. Friends, number three, God has a plan for our sin. We see this in verses 14 and 15. We see that God is not scrambling on how he would deal with sin. No, God had a plan on how he was going to deal with sin among the people of Israel. Here's the crazy thing. God didn't deal with Achan's sin one-on-one, -on -one, but he dealt with it in front of everybody. But, 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 but before God exposed him... God gave him a chance to expose himself. Amen. Friends, if you don't want to uncover your sin, God will uncover your sin for you. But 1 John 1.9 says, he is just and faithful to forgive us of our sin. Number four, God will punish our sin. We see this further in verse 15, but let me be very careful on how I deal with this point here, because the way that God deals with uh, 
his children's sin and the way that he deals with the world's sin is two different ways. Okay? When God deals with the world's sin, it is on the basis of judgment and condemnation. And God will either deal with your sin on the cross or he will deal with it in hell. Either Jesus will be the payment for your sin or you will be the payment for your sin and you ain't got enough to pay for your sin, so you'll be paying forever for your sin. But when God deals with his children when it comes to sin, God disciplines us. This is not God coming at us like a judge. He comes at us like a father because our position has changed through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer enemies of God. We are now children of God. And because we're children of God, he treats us like kids. You ought to celebrate God because of that. You ought to get happy in your soul. That judgment ain't no waiting to you. You ought to, you ought to get a little excited. Here's the scripture here. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Friends, sin affects those around us as well. We do not sin in a vacuum. When we sin, our sin impacts people around us. We got to get past this individualistic thinking of um, uh, this Americanized kind of thinking when it comes to our sin that, 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 that you worry about you and I'll worry about me. You worry about your business and I'll worry about my business. But, 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 but the Bible says that the church is a body. And so if the infection is in the body, it affects all of the body. We sing that in the boy, right, that, that the affection was spreading. And so, and so your business ain't just your business. Your business is of the church business as well. I know y'all don't like that kind of talk because you want to be your own authority. You don't want nobody telling you what to do. You don't want nobody exposing you. And the moment somebody approaches you, you got a whole attitude and now you're ready to leave because, because you think that you're your own God. But the Bible is clear. We ought to confess our faults one to another. We ought to, we ought to confront one another. And part of the issue with the church is that we ain't been confronting sin in the body. I'm not just talking about individuals. Sin. I'm talking about the way the church has postured itself against certain ideologies, the things that we've agreed with that God doesn't agree with. The way that we treat women. I got real quiet. God cares about how we treat our sisters. Brothers in the room. We got to stand up and open our mouths when we see and hear people trampling on our sisters. That's your sister. You, you ought to say something. You see injustice in the body, you ought to say something. Don't keep your mouth closed because to keep your mouth closed is to essentially agree with it. We ought to say something, right? But stand flat-footed on the gospel and say, brother, you're not standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Okay, I brought some word because I knew y'all weren't going to be feeling me. Let me go on over to the book of Galatians chapter 2. We had an issue going on with Brother Peter. Brother Peter separated himself from his brother. He had a bit of racism going on in his heart. And so he stepped away from the table. He didn't want to be with the Gentiles, right? And so he separated himself because his homeboy showed up. And since his homeboy showed up, he didn't want to get pushed out of the in crowd. You know that what you know, we'll do all kind of things to be in and down. Do you feel me this morning? And, and Paul gets up in the apostle Peter. This is the apostle. The apostle, Reverend Deacon, Bishop Peter. He gets up in his face and he said, yo, bro, you out of line. You ain't in step with the gospel. Hold on. Why is this important? Because the moment the church get out of line with the gospel, it is the moment we lose our power. Because the gospel is the power of the church. And essentially what Peter was saying was this. Hey, Gentiles, you got to become Jewish in order to be saved. Oh, oh, no, no, no. In fact, all of us are welcome into the house of God, not because of our ethnicity, not because of our status, but because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross of Jesus Christ. Sin affects those around us. Number six, sin must be dealt with. Either you and I will deal with our sins or God will deal with them. Either way, they will be handled. This is what 1 Corinthians says. But if you judge yourselves truly, we will not be judged. Why, children of God? Why have you judged yourselves? God doesn't need to discipline you. Because the point of discipline is restoration. And so if you acknowledge your sin, God can restore you to wholeness and health. But if you walk arrogantly in your sin because he's a loving father, he's going to stop you and deal with it. So that he may restore you to wholeness. Let's flip the lens and look at Achan now. Verses 16 and 18, we see that the sinner is discovered. God tells Joshua, hey, Joshua, I want you to get up in the a.m. before you make any bacon or any eggs or any oatmeal. That's just me. That's kind of what I wanted this morning. Before you do anything else, I want you to gather the tribes, and I want you to gather them one by one. Now, keep in mind, God knew who was guilty. Why didn't God just tell Joshua, hey, it's Achan over there? Why didn't you do that, God? Why did God use this process to point out Achan? Now, it's not clear in the text, but this is what I think. In my opinion, he was given Achan time to repent and to confess his sin. God is so compassionate and abounding in mercy and steadfast love. Nobody's ever going to accuse God of not being loving. But God was giving that man time to repent. But be that as it may, the finger of God was getting closer and closer, and then it finally landed on Achan. Oftentimes, God gives us time to repent and turn from our sins. If we try to cover it up, God will himself in his own way, in his own time, uncover it. Can it be that the finger of God is getting closer and closer to you today, friend? And can this sermon be God's grace to you to come clean? 
God usually, come on, let's be honest. God usually convicts us by his spirit. Yeah, I know how it is. You got to ignore the spirit, right? You got to, I mean, I mean, I mean, Christians, we go through a whole thing when it comes. So I said, can we just be honest this morning? Well, you know, you know, we contemplate, then we come compromise, right? The spirit, like, don't go there, don't go there. But God, Lord, one cookie ain't gone. I mean, one Oreo. I know it's double stuff and that counts for two, but Lord, technically it's one because the cream is on the same, between the same two cookies. So Lord, we start, we start, we start negotiating our sins while God is convicting us, right? Uh, God, if, if God not only convicts us by the Spirit, convicts us with the Word. You be minding your own business. You've been contemplating this sin all week. And then God going to put something on Facebook for you. So you going to come at me through FB, Lord? You going to hit me through the IG? You going to do me like that? God will put it on Facebook for you. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. Y'all ain't going to be honest with me. You be scrolling. Oh, man. All liars got their place in the... Oh, never mind. God nudges us. He kind of pushes our soul a little bit and says, son and daughter, don't go there. Don't do that. And Satan makes us believe that if we turn away from it, that we'll be leaving our happiness on the table. But the reality is, is that there is no happiness in unholiness. A holiness is the essence of happiness. God wants what's good for us. It reminds me of this lady who ignored her seeing eye dog. The lady and her dog were taking a walk during their walk. A car was blocking their driveway a few spaces ahead of them. And at the moment, the dog paused, gently pressed his shoulder against the woman's leg, signaling her to turn aside so they could get around the car. She wouldn't move to the side. Instead, gave him the signal to move forward, to, to move ahead. That's how we are, right? The spirit, like, go the other way. We like, no, oh, God, I'm going this way. Um, he again pressed his shoulder against her leg, trying to guide her on a safe path. That's the spirit again. No, go this way. No, God, this is good for me. We've reasoned, God, this is good. She angrily ordered the dog to go forward. And we get mad at God. You ain't going to give me this, God. You know this will make me happy. I've been praying and fasting for something that's not good for me. We're praying fast and think that that'll work it all out. You know, we like to get spiritual, you know, to get what we want. We throw a little hallelujah over it. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then she impulsively, she, her anger flared up. She kicked the dog out of the way. And then she impulsively stepped forward and bumped square into the car. Friends, don't ignore God. God knows the threat that is before you. He knows the consequences before you. God guides us in the right direction, not the wrong direction. Achan ignored God's word. He ignored God's warning, and now he must face the consequences. We see this in verses 19 through 21, the sin discussed. Now that the sin is out in the open, God has exposed Achan. 
Joshua knows that it's aching. Israel knows, knows that it's aching. And now we must discuss and deal with the sinner. Notice the two aspects of this section. Number one, I love Joshua's leadership. I love, love, love Joshua's leadership. When Joshua speaks to Achan, he speaks with love in his heart. Okay, y'all need to lean in on this, all right? He knows that Achan is condemned, but Joshua still cares for this man. Friends, when it comes to people being caught in sin and when they are exposed, you ought not be arrogant. You ought not be prideful. You ought not be judgmental. You ought not say, that's what you get, joker. I'm so glad that you finally got caught. No, 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 no. That shouldn't be your posture because when you think about all the things that you didn't get caught doing, all the stuff that God has overlooked in your life. Some of us ain't in jail today because God covered your tail. You ought to be in jail right now. And you got the nerve to talk about those in the county. But if God was to expose you, you wouldn't be in this place today. Friends, it's not until you understand your own plight, till you understand your own sin, till you understand that it's only by the grace of God that your tail is still sitting here, delighting in him, rejoicing in him, celebrating him. Joshua doesn't come down on this man. Instead, he looks at him with compassion. Because we ought to have no matter what nobody does. We ought to have enough care for their souls to want to see them come to a saving knowledge and restoration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I preach this thing this morning? I wish the church had more compassion for those who are lost, for those who are caught up, for those who are stuck. And we stop saying, I know I wouldn't do that. I know I wouldn't say that. Joker, you don't know yourself then because you'll do things that you never thought you'll do. You'll turn around and you'll be eating the double stuff Oreo. You keep talking about people next to you. I love, I love, I love, I love what Joshua says. Come on, Joshua, preach to God's people. He says, my son. Uh, you can almost hear the words of endearment there. You can almost hear the words of love through that familiar language. My son, give glory to the Lord, God of Israel, and give praise to him. Isn't it something that confession is like worship here? And tell me now what you have done, and do not hide it from me. I love the compassion. We should always be broken over someone's fall. We shouldn't be angry or distant. We should hate their sin, don't get me wrong, but care enough for their souls to weep over them. When the last time you weeped over a broken soul? Are you too busy to weep? too engulfed with your own stuff that you ain't got time to weep over people who can't find their way. Because friends, quite frankly, that's what God did for you. He wept over your soul. He left the shining course of glory to chase after you. Didn't have to do it, but he did. He gave up riches to enter into your poverty. 
He left light to step into your darkness. He did that for you. How dare you turn up your nose at someone else? Especially leaders in the church, we ought to be the first to weep. Pastors in the church, we ought to be the first to weep. Leaders, before we bring church discipline, our hearts ought to be broken over God's sheep. We are high shepherds looking over his sheep. We ought to weep over you. Our hearts ought to break when we see you moving away from Christ. Something ought to happen to Dexter Harris when people in Bethel Gary go astray. Something happens in here. And it ain't because I'm a good dude. It's because the spirit of Christ ought to compel me. And if you know me, we're coming after you. You can run, you can run, you can run. But I know where you live and I'm coming to your house. I'll be showing up. I'll be knocking on the door. Oh, that didn't work. I'm going to the window. Oh, we going to talk. <laughs> if you go to hell, it'll be over my dead body, but I'm coming. Elders in the church, we coming. If we got to chase it down, we coming. And if that don't work, I come back with five, six brothers. We come like soldiers. What's good, brother? We here, dog. <laughs> We here, and we be lined up in your front line like they lined up boys up in baby boy. <laughs> See, we ain't going to hit you hard because you didn't cry. No, <laughs> oh, just let, me, let, let me get back to the text. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it got hard, cuz. Uh, all right, verse 20. See, y'all, uh, verse 20 and 21. <laughs> Here's the confession. My man get his usher on, y'all. He's like, if I'm going to tell it, I might as well tell it all. <laughs> I mean, he lays it all out. He don't leave out nothing. Not nothing, nothing. That's everything. In these two verses, Aiklin finally confesses his sin. Now, I just, maybe it's just me. But I'm like, brother, why you didn't fess up a long time ago? You knew God. You knew you was about to get exposed. Why you didn't say nothing? It's God, man. That's how delusional sin is. That it'll make you think that you'll never get caught. It'll make you think that the one who created you can't see past you. Why didn't he fess up? Because sin tricked him that he'll never get caught. Sin ain't never told you that. Oh, you ain't going to never get caught. I got your back. Self ain't never told you. Your self ain't never told you that. Girl, I got your back. I don't care if everybody else thinks I got you. Ain't nothing going to happen. Sin hardens the heart, and it will convince you even God can't find you. But here's the other crazy part about sin. Sin is so selfish and self-centered. Y'all remember that 36 people died because of his sin. 36 people died. These are real people with names. 36 people lost their father. 36 people became widows because of his sin, and he still didn't say anything. Sin will allow everybody around you to die and cover itself still. He didn't even care 
When the report came back, Aiken, and you heard that 36 people were dead, nothing moved your heart to repent? Sin will harden you. It's nothing to play with. It'll make you look at dead bodies like nothing. It didn't even bother him. See the foolishness of sin. And don't think that he has a genuine confession. He just got caught. There's a difference, friends, from confessing sin and getting caught. She even called me on camera. It wasn't me. Y'all know the song. I went there. He only fessing up because he got caught. You know how it is. That's when you, when you ain't got no more lies. You know, you can't wiggle your way. I mean, I'm talking about red-handed caught. You know, I might as well go ahead and tell it now. Hey, did they die? They didn't caught me, Jack. Hey, it was me. But I do doubt very much that he had planned this thing. Everything about the way he relates the story to us seems to say that it happened spontaneously, and sometimes sin happens that way. He knew who God was. He was with Israel when they marched around Jericho, and the walls came down. And I don't think this man had intentions to bring such evil into camp. Can you relate this morning? I didn't mean to sin. It just happened. It just crept up on me, right? We're going to eat the double stuffed Oreos. I've seen them on Facebook. And next thing you know, I'm at Jules. Next thing you know, they're in my cart. Next thing you know, I'm at home. I got the biggest glass of milk there is. And me and America's favorite cookie are going dipping. And by the end of the pack, you look back, how did I get here? You look at the Oreos, you say, hmm. <laughs> Seeing to catch you off guard and all alone. When nobody's watching, it'll creep up on you. Aiken is all alone and things are just lying. The things are just lying there. And sin says, what's up, G? How you doing? You doing all right? I'm just lying here. Ain't nobody watching. Won't you go ahead and take? And if you listen to the description that my man said, he said it was silver, it was gold. In his mind, I'm about to come up, fam. I'm about to stun on them. They don't even know. I'll take this gold, get it turned into a chain. Because we take what we believe would add to our identity and self-worth. Because he got his eyes off of God, sin was able to capture him. Friends, this is what it looks like for sin to creep up on you. And sometimes we know that it's about to go down. You knew when they called you for the Netflix and chill that it wasn't just going to be chill. You checked yourself out in the mirror before you left. Y'all not going to talk to me this morning, but I'm trying to preach. I'm trying to preach this now. I'm just trying to be honest. You already, you knew, you knew what was about to happen. But I could not return that call. That would be rude. You knew what was going down. 
That's what your mama say, sweetie, you knew (laughs) what was about to go down. But sometimes some of us haven't seen because the opportunity hasn't presented itself. Friends, maybe Aiken was not struggling with sin. Maybe he was waiting for the right opportunity for sin. He could have turned away from he could have turned away from the biblical instruction to be sober-minded, alert. And the only thing that stopped him in the past is opportunity. And I wonder this morning if that's you. The only thing that's stopping you from taking advantage of the sin that is in your heart is that the opportunity has not presented itself. Friends, we got to be on our toes against sin. Now, I love in Aiken's confession, he actually teaches us something. Watch this. He gives us four verbs, and it helps us to understand how sin actually works and how it captures us. It helps us to understand how we get the double-stuffed Oreos from the store to the house. Here it is. He says this, I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. Okay, let me teach this. He says, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 20 hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them, took them, and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. My man got his usher fully on. This is the same pattern that sin always follows. It sees, it covets, it takes, and it hides. We see this in the Garden of Eden with Eve. She sees the fruit. She takes the fruit. She eats the fruit. And then they hide. We see this with David. He saw Bathsheba on top of the rooftop. He took it. And he hid his sin. Let's slow down here. Friends, the first thing sin does to you is that it presents Sin must present itself to the mind first. I saw. He saw, and in seeing, he lost sight of God. Sin has to get your mind off of God. Sin cannot do its work until it removes your mind off of God. Why? It has to remove the guard. The thing that keeps it out, what is that? A mind that is set on God will keep sin far away. A mind set on pleasing God will keep sin out. Well, how do we please God? By faith. And what is the opposite of faith? Unbelief. So sin has to get you to believe that God is not good. And the moment it gets you to believe that God is not good, it now can proceed to the heart and capture the desires. Sin has to take control over your desires. And he says, and we covet to want something that's not yours. And this is how temptation operates. And you need to know that. It begins with the eyes, then it covets and drives itself to the heart. It was because Eve said what? It is desirable. Notice the movement from the head to the heart. It convinces the mind that it is good. Once the mind says it is good, the heart says, I want that. 
Oh, I want that. The heart cannot see itself without it. And next thing you know, I'm in the car. Next thing you know, I'm at the store. Next thing you know, I'm purchasing it. Friend, seeing is not a window shopper. Seeing plans to leave with something that does not belong to it. Sin essentially takes. The body moves. Once it gets past the mind and into the heart, it's now going to the hands. What are we seeing here? The entire being is engaged. Friends, that's worship. Sin gets you to worship something, and that's how it gets you to betray on God. You begin to worship that thing with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul. Achan began to worship the things that he saw and he took them for himself. But not only did he take, this is how you know you're wrong. Let me help y'all out. Lean in on me because some of y'all act like y'all don't know when y'all wrong. I mean, come on. I talk to y'all. I like, how you know, bro? How you didn't know that was wrong? If you got to have something, it's wrong, all right? Dog, I ain't know she was going to trip. Well, why you had it then? Whenever you got to live in darkness, you know that you're wrong. I usually, when it comes to, you know, marriage and counseling and, you know, people get to talking to me. And I just ask them a question. If your wife and your husband was there, would you still have done that? Because when we got to hide, we know that it's wrong. And so he took the things and he hid them. Here's the crazy part. This is the bizarre part. This is what threw me out of my chair as I was studying this. He couldn't even use them. He couldn't even use the things. Because for him to use them would actually be for him to expose himself and everybody would have knew about his character. That's how foolish sin is. It'll have you steal and take things that your tail can't even use. What he was going to do? Often. <laughs> sin to have you running out the stuff you can't even have. You can't even have. I love it in the Spider-Man Far Away From Home, one of my favorite movies. I'm just playing. <laughs> The villain had this ability to use technology to project these false realities. He kept Spider-Man chasing something that was not there. Friends, that's sin. It gives illusions and, uh, and, 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 and sin projects a mirage of things that are not there and that you can't have. It'll have you chasing after the wind. There's nothing there but death. At the end of your sin is death. The only thing that sin offers you is a death sentence. I want you to hear me in this room. The only thing sin offers is death. We see this in James. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own what? Lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to what? There it is, mind, heart. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth what? Death. Sin 
has one end, and it is to kill you. And God is blocking it. Why? Because God wants you to live. Go back to the story. And the sinner is now destroyed. This guy had broken so many commandments. There is dishonor done to God. There is covetousness. There is theft. And then there follows falsehood and deception. Sin will never allow you just to break one commandment. You're going to break several of them. Because sin is tying its tentacles around you. And just like a black widow spider, when it is done with you, it kills you. This verse gives a sad conclusion to the tragic tale. Achan and all he had were taken out and stoned to death by the people of Israel. It didn't have to end that way at all, friends. However, these verses demonstrate the horrible end that all sinners who refuse to repent will come to. Destruction. The name of the valley that they stoned Achan at is called Achor. This word means trouble. Friends, in other words, if you keep chasing sin, you are headed for trouble. But y'all, I did my homework. I found out something else about this place. Oh, y'all gonna love this. Hold your shout. I didn't come to let you down. Here it is. That place, Acor in Hosea, is reversed from a place of death to a place of hope. Hold on. Here it is in Hosea 2.15. And I will give her vineyards from thence in the valley of Acre for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. God says that I'm going to take this dead place and I'm going to turn it into a living place. Friends, what I'm trying to tell you is that we serve a God that has the ability to take those dead things and turn them around into living things. Oh, he did it through the Lord Jesus Christ. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. They put him in a dead place. But God said, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Because we serve a God that has the ability to take dead things and turn them into life. But hold on, friends. This is what you got to understand. The reason why the boy with the fever and the severed leg lived is because he submitted his life to the doctor. And friends, what I'm trying to tell you is that I don't care what sin you're going through. I don't care what you're struggling against. When you submit your life to the doctor, he says by his stripes, we are healed. Oh, we serve a God that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we may ever think. And there's no reason, friends, that you can't come out of hiding. I do this with my kids. When playing hide and go seek with them, come out, come out, wherever you are. Come out, come out, wherever you are. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're struggling with. But I came to tell you that God is a God of mercy before judgment. He delights in showing his loving kindness. He rejoices in showing his grace. And my exhortation to you is to come out, come out wherever you are. Whatever sin that you're in, the thing that you've been treasuring over God, the thing that you've been exalting over God, would you come out from wherever you are? Because if you do not, God will bring you out.
And if he brings you out, he will deal with you. But if you confess your sins, he is just and faithful to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the blood shed on the cross allows sinners to come out from wherever they are so that they do not have to face the wrath of God. 